As always, we start with the most important question. Would you mind sharing how you came to your faith in Christ? Thank you, Bronson. I'll be glad to answer that question. Um, if I could, I'll, I'll tell three uh, events that, that took place in my life. Uh, I was blessed to be reared in a Christian family. Uh, my mother and father are, are Christians, and my grandparents on both sides are strong believers. And uh, when I was five years old, my grandmother on my dad's side, my grandma bought, uh, was teaching child evangelism fellowship, you know, with the flannel graphs and everything. And uh, I prayed to accept Jesus as my Savior at her knee when I was five. Then when I was nine years old, my folks had taken me to uh, all of us. Uh, I have three other siblings uh, to a Youth for Christ rally here in Kansas City. Kansas City Youth for Christ uh, was very important in our lives. And uh, uh, the speaker that night said that, being born into a Christian family no more makes you a Christian than being born in an uh, in a garage makes you an automobile. Mm -hmm. And I, that just really resonated in my nine-year-old brain. And he said, you need to make sure of your own salvation. So um, I, I just wanted to make sure that I understood what I was doing when I was five. And, and I really understood the gospel by the time I was nine. And I went forward that night and um, kind of reaffirmed my uh trusting in Jesus as my Savior. I told everybody about it. And so um, one time I told my testimony, and I just shared the part about going forward at Youth for Christ, and my grandmother uh, admonished me. She said, Richie, don't you remember when you were five and we prayed? And I said, yes, Grandma, <laughs> I do. So I always include both yeah. of those uh, when I share how I came to know Jesus as my Savior uh, then when I was in junior high, back in the day, Kansas City Youth for Christ would take over the campus of John Brown University for a week in the summertime, and we would have our summer camp down there at John Brown University. And uh, we always had uh, chapel service, and then we would go to lunch. That was kind of the routine and the schedule there at camp. This particular Wednesday, they had a missionary speaker. And uh, the missionary speaker told about what it was like to serve the Lord on the, on the mission field in Africa in his particular case. And when he finished, he told us how the fields were white unto harvest, but the laborers were few. And uh, if you were willing to be used of the Lord in the mission field, stand up and say, here am I, Lord, send me. And in my little junior high mind, I'm thinking, well, I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, I thought it, it would be hot. It would be, there'd be flies. I'd have to live in a grass hut and it would just be miserable. I wouldn't want to do that. But all of a sudden, all of my friends around me were standing up and saying, here am I, Lord, send me. And as a hypocrite, I didn't want to, I didn't want them to think that I was less of a Christian than they were. So I mm. stood up and said, here am I, Lord, send me, even though I didn't mean it. And when I did, I just felt the uh, piercing conviction of the Holy Spirit in my heart. I just mm -hmm. felt like I had lied in front of all my friends. I had lied to the Lord. And instead of going to lunch, I ran back to the dormitory and threw myself on the cot and, and prayed and asked the Lord to forgive me for lying. And I couldn't get a sense of forgiveness. I couldn't get a sense of relief because it, it began to occur to me that, that the real problem wasn't that I lied, although that was bad, but, but the real problem was why wasn't I willing? Mm -hmm. Why not? And I, I wrestled with that for several months, and I remember one night just really settling that with the Lord, uh, laying in bed at my grandparents' house again, late at night, and couldn't sleep, and I just realized that the Lord created me, and that he created me for a purpose, and I would never find true happiness and fulfillment in life unless I was doing what he created me to do. Mm -hmm. And so I said, Lord, uh, I am willing to do whatever you want me to do, uh, even if it's be a missionary in Africa and live in a grass hut and uh, have flies all around and everything, because I, I just trust you that whatever you have for me to do in life is what I want to be about. And uh, they're all fine fulfillment. And so 
that is when I really, I think, you know, committed my life fully to the Lord without holding anything back. And so about what age were you? I was in junior high. I think I was about 13. Mm, Okay. So it's kind of a long answer to a, to a short question, but, but those were three pivotal events in my life that I think shaped me for the whole rest of my time. I think that's so common where we want to give ourselves in full to God's will, but sometimes we're not fully there yet, especially in those extreme examples. Because my mom actually went to uh, Africa and did that for years. And I just remember thinking, I could never do that. (laughs) Well, you know, interesting is... uh, I have since I settled that with the Lord, I have never again felt like God was calling me to the mission field. But mm. now, as I look back, I realize that that what I do today is a form of missions. and uh, and as we have expanded it into some digital technology and and uh, people we're hearing from people all over the world that are responding to bot radio network, uh, I realize that that it's it's a form of form of missions, Mm -hmm. but uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for missionaries. And at times when I've been able to go overseas and visit with missionaries who are serving the Lord on the foreign field, I I just really have a rapport with them and an appreciation for them. Mm. It's almost like God has uh, given us a test on how far are you willing to go, but then when you fully submit, then um, he's like, all right, now that I know you, you're going to do that, you're going to do something else. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, it's like like he can't really lead you until he knows that you're willing to follow. Exactly, yes. I, I, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, let's get right into the story behind the Bot Radio Network. I did a little bit of research, and it's, it's a really fascinating story. And I think it's, you said it started with your grandpa or your grandfather. It did, if I can share that with you. This is my grandpa here. Right here. I don't know. Okay. Do we have a camera shot that'll, yeah, that'll get that? Right here, yeah. Okay, that's my grandpa Patterson, my mother's father. And you can see here, this is in 1926, mm-hmm. and he's doing his radio program. His Bible is here, and his uh, carbon, old, old-fashioned carbon microphone right there. And uh, he had a church and a broadcast called the Radio Prayer League. But that's how it all started. My grandfather grew up in western Kansas. What, what year was that photo taken? This photo is 1926. Goodness. So in the early 1920s, uh, my grandfather uh, got saved at a camp meeting out in western Kansas and felt the call of God on his life to be a preacher. And uh, so he was responsible for three little towns out there in Kansas and uh, would like a circuit-riding preacher would travel between the, the two, the three churches to preach. And uh, he went to his neighbor's house, and his neighbor had one of these new radio receiver sets. And so uh, he put the headphones on, tuned in the radio receiver, and heard R.R. R. Brown preaching the gospel out of Omaha. Mm. And so he felt like God was calling him to have a radio outreach of his, uh, as a part of his church ministry. And so uh, back then, if you're going to be on the radio, you had to live in a city that had a radio station. And so he moved the family to Denver and uh, started a radio a church there called the Radio Prayer League and bought time on the local uh, radio station for the Radio Prayer League broadcast. And that's the Radio Prayer League that he's doing there. But this, if I can, this is the kind of radio receiver that he would have been listening to. It would have looked a lot like this, and uh, and you uh, you tune in the station here with these dials, and there would have been an uh, an antenna that would have plugged in and gone out into the trees, and you'd hook it up to a car battery, and uh, inside you could, if you can see, the the coils would have been just kind of wires wrapped around an oatmeal box. And that would have been the, the technology. of This was the modern miracle of radio back in the <laughs> 1920s. So who would have made that? Would that have been kind of a homemade device? Or is that something people purchased back it then? It looks homemade. It does. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably like there was a kit or something. Wow. With a crystal inside. Uh-huh. So that was the um, yeah. really the only way That's, that people digested um, content and media at that time. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, it was brand new. It was, it was just amazing. And he was amazed that he could be out in western Kansas and hear R.R. R. Brown preaching the gospel out of Omaha. So, uh, so my grandfather started that church, and if I can tell a little bit more of his story, so that was in the 1920s. There came a time when the manager of that station was stealing the offerings out of his mail, and he did not appreciate that. So he bought his own radio station in Colorado Springs, KVOR, which was the voice of the Rockies. And so he had the church in Denver, and then he had the radio station in Colorado Springs. And there came a time where he heard of a um, Bible college that owned a radio station in San Francisco, California. Mm. And so he bought that station and moved the family to San Francisco. So part of his church services ministry in Denver, though, was helping the school children during the Great Depression. There was a school across the street from the Mm. church. And uh, my grandfather asked the preacher, he said... um, what could we do to help you? He thought maybe they needed school supplies or books or, or coats or something like that for the winter. And he said, well, what they need is food. They come to school hungry and they can't learn while their stomachs are growling. And, and my grandfather said, well, bring them to the church. We'll feed them in the, in the church basement a hot noon meal every day. And the, uh, the principal said, well, how many? And he said, as many as are hungry. And that uh, began then a ministry all across Denver where my grandfather coordinated other churches that were nearby to schools, and the churches would feed the school kids a hot noon lunch. President Roosevelt uh, sent a a representative out there to see what they were doing in Denver, and that is kind of the the start of the hot noon lunch program in schools that we have today. That's amazing. Yeah, it was a ministry of the church. It was a ministry of the church. And so one of the boys that got saved as a part of that hot noon lunch program uh, later married the pastor's oldest uh, the pastor's oldest daughter, my Aunt Irene. And uh, they uh, eventually started a church in Minneapolis, Minnesota mm-hmm. called Souls Harbor. Mm-hmm. And that's the church that my dad as a boy started attending. And my mother was the youngest of five. She was 18 years younger than my Aunt Irene. But my dad, uh, when mom went to visit her older sister, that's where she met my dad. And they fell in love, got married, and then moved to San Francisco, where my grandfather had that radio station in San Francisco by that time. And that's how my dad got started in radio. And that's how my mom and dad together started their radio career. Wow. So I was reading about something about, was it your father and mother who sold their house and moved into um, yeah. your parents' house or their parents' house so they can buy the radio station? Yeah, I'll tell you that. See, that's that's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. Um, my, uh, my mom and dad got married in 1952, mm-hmm. so they're celebrating uh, 70 years this, this coming June, it'll be 71 years of good marriage. And uh, thankfully, they're, they're both in good health. Uh, but, but in 1952, they moved to San Francisco. My dad got started selling advertising at my grandfather's radio station, and he eventually became the manager of that station. And my mom and dad wanted their own radio station, and so they bought a station that was for sale in Salinas, California, K-D-O-N, K-Don, and it was a, a secular music, popular music of the day, Perry Como, Bing Crosby, and, mm. and, and that type of music. And, and they sold advertising, and they were, they were successful with the station. They were successful operating it and uh, empty spiritually. They, they wanted to be able to serve the Lord uh, more directly with the talents and abilities that they had given him. And that the Lord had given them. And, and they thought if, if we could have a radio station in a market size of a million or more, then we would be able to have a radio station that, that specialized. They had an idea of a specialized format that would serve the needs and interests of the Christian community and present Bible teaching and present the gospel to anybody that could tune in and listen uh, all, all day, every day. They felt like... Uh, um, Salinas at that time was probably too small of a market to have a specialized station like that. Mm, yep. 
So they began to look. Um, they sold the station in Salinas, and uh, the, a broker told them about a radio station in Kansas City, and they came out to look at it and uh, thought, well, it's a, it's a big enough city, and uh, the station seems to adequately cover the marketplace, and so they bought that station. It was one that they could afford, but it was in that intervening time that when they sold KDON, and they were waiting for the license to be approved to transfer to, the, to them as the new owners, that they moved back in with my grandparents to, uh, to save all, because they sold their house, they sold everything to be able to... Um, pioneer back here in Kansas City. What a leap of faith that was. Yeah, so they uh, the, they moved. Uh, everything that they had was uh, in the car and a little U-Haul trailer and four kids and a dog, two dogs, two little dogs. Did you say uh, four kids? Four kids, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember, so about how old were you at that time? I was um, six. Do you remember all of this? I, I do. I have memories of that, um, but... But I remember the motel that we stayed in at first when we got to Kansas City. It was called the You Smile Inn. And uh, now it's called, I think, the You Smile Stadium Inn because it's out there by 40 Highway where the, the, the stadiums are now. But uh, I, I have little, little memories of some of that. And then my, my second grade was at Highland, uh, Highland Grade School in, in Kansas, um, in Mission, Kansas. So your grandfather's radio station, was that a Christian radio station in well, San Francisco? Back then, radio stations didn't have formats as such. A radio station in a community back then was kind of like a newspaper. And they would have a little bit of everything for uh, the, uh, the community. And the station in, in San Francisco especially was um, very much a multicultural station because of the, um, the, the makeup of the population there in San Francisco. And so they had broadcasts for a lot of the different groups of people that were populating this, the San Francisco area. So your father kind of pioneered. He, well, there were a few others. When my grad, dad grew up in Minneapolis, there was KTIS in, in Minneapolis, and I heard programs such as Back to the Bible and, uh, and others like that as a child growing up. But he was the first in Kansas City? No. Uh, well, when we came to Kansas City, there was a station in, um, in Leavenworth, Kansas. Mm -hmm. but, and, and then the station that we purchased was in Independence. And, but my dad's idea was to have a station that was... He brought with him some of the programming concepts from the West Coast that mm. were... Uh, kind of ahead of its time as far as Christian radio and really developing a format of quality and integrity and ministry that that would be all-encompassing. And uh, he's viewed uh, as kind of a pioneer of um, quality Christian talk radio mm -hmm. in, um, in the development of Christian broadcasting. Because most of your guys' content or the format is... Um Talk. Talk, not music. Right. It's, it's, it's a Christian talk station. And the thing that we talk about the most is the Bible. Mm. So we have um, quality Bible teaching uh, with some of the nation's best Bible teachers. And then we have Christian news and information to help you apply your faith in your daily life. Mm. So to kind of be able to understand what's happening in the world from a Christian worldview. Mm. So then as after you moved here and, and started the station, what happened after that? Was there any uh, major events, or even when did you come into the business? That's a really good question. Uh, let me think how to answer that the best way, because people say, well, when did you start at Christian Radio? And I said, well, I kind of grew up with it. <laughs> uh, when my sister and I, my older sister and I, Sherry, uh, were, were young, and my folks were at the radio station full-time, because they were really devoted to getting this off the ground, and, and the two of them together worked hand in glove. Uh, so Sherry and I be playing at the radio station and, uh, they give us a tape recorder and they say, okay, you guys go play in the, in the <laughs> studio room or wherever it was. And I remember Sherry was the preacher and I was the amen guy. So she would be preaching and singing and I would say amen to what she did. That's, I love that. So I, so I grew up, I grew up with it. It wasn't until I was probably in high school 
that my dad and I began to have some talks about what do you want to do with your life? And, okay. and uh, my dad originally uh, had the idea that uh, I, I would rather have you go outside and not be part of the family business because I've seen occasions where where a family uh, tries to work together and it hurts the family. He said, I'd rather have the family together and intact than have a business relationship. And so that was, uh, he said, I'll help you, you know, get a good education. Then you can kind of do what you want to do. That was, that was kind of the initial thinking until we started attending Bill Gothard seminars. I don't know if you've ever heard of never Bill heard Gothard, of the Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts. And maybe some of your, your podcast viewers will be familiar with that, the big red notebooks and so forth. Mm. But it talked about family relationships and how families, uh, how God designed families to work. And uh, the principles that he laid f- out in that convinced my dad that if you followed biblical principles that you really could work together and that could be a very uh, special blessing. Mm. And so he said, I just want to revisit that conversation and if you should decide that you wanted to be in broadcasting that uh, we, could, we could do that. And he said, if we did that, then we would want to expand because back then we just had the one station in Kansas City. And uh, back in 1975, then, we acquired our, our second radio station in Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And that became KQCV, Oklahoma's Quality Christian Voice. And so from then, we, we began to uh, expand. Um, one, one thing that that missionary speaker said, he said, I'm not, I'm not saying that the Lord is going to call you to the mission field, but, but he may. And the Lord will... Very likely, uh, this decision will perhaps influence the school you go to, the girl you marry, and and all of these related decisions. Mm-hmm. And so, as I look back on my life, I see how the Lord has has led me um, to prepare me for this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to Kansas City Christian School my senior year. We transferred. Uh, to Christian education, and uh, that was a real blessing in in my life and my younger uh, brother and sister as well. And then I went to Bob Jones University and majored in business management and uh, radio TV with a minor in communications. And so I began to kind of prepare myself for uh, a career in Christian broadcasting. So you knew and that you wanted to get into the yeah. By business? that by that time, by about the time I was a freshman or sophomore in college, I was thinking this is what the Lord has for me. And it sounded like your father didn't force you into it. It's no. more of a question or just a conversation. Really, he uh, uh, discouraged me at first, and then he he left it up to me. You know, however the Lord leads you. But if he this if you do decide to follow a career in Christian broadcasting, uh, according to what he, we had learned through the Bill Gothard uh, seminars is that we could make it that we could make that work. So then I went to Harvard Business School and got my MBA, and so I got a good business education, and and I try to apply the the business principles that I use in in operating to the glory of God this this platform of Christian ministry. So can you kind of uh, touch on your experience at Harvard? How was that? Was it pretty challenging? You know, I went. I went from Bob Jones University, which is very, very conservative in right. a, a Christian world, and I think I got a really good biblical uh, foundation there. And so then I went to uh, Harvard Business School, which they they call the the West Point of capitalism. Sometimes they <laughs> would call it, and uh, it was very good uh, business education, but but very much the environment was. Um, uh, post-Christian, uh, right. post-modern, where uh, the truth is relative. Yeah. And of course, we know that that truth is absolute. Truth is truth. Yes. And uh, the Lord said uh, that his word is truth. So I had that good, good grounding, and uh, it held me in good stead there. Uh, we also had, and I'm, I was thankful for this, a, a Bible study of um, uh, Christian students there at Harvard Business School. Mm. 
so I was able to be involved in that. And I got involved in a local church there in Boston, which for me, I love the history of Boston because Mm -hmm. it goes way, way back. So the church that I was attending at that time was called Park Street Church, just off the Boston Common. And and you look on the walls, it has these these photos of the previous pastors going way, way back. And, And you look at the time, this is when this church was sending missionaries out to Hawaii and uh, different places around the world. And if you've ever seen that movie, Hawaii, uh, when they go out on the mission field, they don't fly home. It's their life. They, they spend their lifetime there. So I love the history of it, and I still love history today. But, but my time at Harvard Business School was, uh, it was very intense in terms of study. Mm-hmm. They practiced the case study method, mm-hmm. where you study the uh, a situation, and uh, a good portion of your uh, grade is based on your class participation. So it's very much a uh, discussion type of learning. Mm, so more application, maybe. Right with case studies and how it could apply to the real world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, so after you were, uh, after you graduated from Harvard, what was next? I, I graduated with my MBA in 1981. And we had at that time, uh, in the summer times, I went back to work with, with my folks and, uh, we bought the station in, uh, Oklahoma city in 75 and in 81, 1980, actually, we, uh, started our new station in, um, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So my first assignment after graduating from business school was to go to Fort Wayne, Indiana and manage that station. And uh, we, we uh, did a good job with it. And then after a while, I was able to come back to the home office in Kansas City and to kind of manage the cluster of three stations that we had at that time and then begin to, begin to grow that together with my dad. We worked very much hand-in-glove and our fourth station was in St. Louis, mm. and then St. Louis, and then a station in Memphis, and then a station out in the Central Valley of California, and uh, kind of grew from there. What well, uh, do you have a methodology on when you guys are looking to acquire different stations? Is there anything you're really looking for before you do that? Have to make sure there's a need for it in mm. a particular market. Uh, we we look at the. Um, Offerings of, of uh, is there another Christian station in the market that has similar uh, teaching type programming? That uh, so we want to go where there's a need, and then we have to look for where there's an opportunity. And so maybe there's a radio station that is struggling and is available for sale. That happens sometimes, or there uh, maybe there's a change in the FCC rules that opens up an allocation where you can file an application for a. Um, station in a particular market. Mm. And so it's a combination of factors and they all kind of have to line up together to, um, then they say, Oh, well that would, that would work. There's a need, there's an opportunity. And then do we have the resources? Can we take advantage of that to spread the gospel? So this is kind of a, maybe a side question. You don't have, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but, or you don't feel comfortable, but so when you're going out to acquire different stations, do you guys do that um, with maybe a bank loan or do you wait until you guys have the capital in-house where it's kind of your own money that you're doing or what's your approach on that? Well, uh, it, that depends a lot on the particular situation. Okay. And uh, if it's a, a station in a big city, it would be more expensive. And uh, we have uh, been blessed with a long-time relationship with uh, United Missouri Bank um, mm-hmm. to help. They helped to finance our first acqui- our second acquisition in Oklahoma City, and so um, we might, uh, if it's called for, have them help us uh, with a with a mortgage on the station. And if it's a small enough station in a small town, uh, we might be able to build it or acquire it without any additional financing. And in some cases, it's seller financing. So you, you try to put together a deal that, that makes sense and you believe that uh, you can make it work in the long run and the Lord has honored that and blessed it. Hmm. So maybe with some of these, does it come with a, a property and equipment, which is where that you said mortgage. So that's not as much of a risk as opposed to just maybe buying the rights or 
just buying the ability to have a radio network there? Well, in, in radio, the, the value is, much of the value is in the, in the license. Uh, and but, that's through the FCC? Right. Right, okay, right. Okay. So if it's that's why, and it's usually it's it's figured on a a, a per pop count, like so many so many dollars per pop. We say per pop; it means it's short for population. Okay. Uh, in a in a given uh, service area, like a sixty dBU contour of signal strength, mm-hmm. and how many people live within that, and is it an AM station or an FM station? Does it broadcast just in the daytime or 24 hours a day? All of that factors into it. But then in addition to that, is there is there real estate involved? Does it have a tower? Does it have land? Does it have a building? Uh, those those types of things all factor into the, the value that goes into a, a radio station. Some of them can be very, very expensive. And, and uh, <laughs> someone once said that the gospel is free, but somebody has to put in the plumbing. <laughs> and so there's a there's infrastructure that you build, mm-hmm. but but the purpose of the, of our building this infrastructure is to communicate the gospel. Absolutely. We we want the living water to throw, flow through those pipes. So uh, when was do you remember the time when your father said it's time for you to take the the um, leadership over this company? It's been a gradual process, really. Mm-hmm. It has been. Uh, probably about 10 years ago, I formally became, went from being vice president to the, the president and then the chairman of the board and the chief executive officer. Um, but my dad is still very much involved. I, I tell people, they said, is your dad retired? And I said, well, my dad is semi-retired. And, and what do you mean by that? And I said, well, semi-retired is when you don't have to do anything you don't want to do but you can get involved in anything you care to. <laughs> and so that's, that's kind of our relationship right now is, is that uh, uh, I still go to my dad for counsel and advice and uh, his wisdom is much appreciated and, and he injects himself where he cares to and otherwise he just kind of leaves it to me. So I have to ask because I kind of did the, sim- you know, this, did the same as you on a very smaller scale, but I know that when you have families in the same business, there could be a lot of tension and conflict. What would be your one piece of advice that you'd give other families on how they could make it work over the long term like you have with your father? Grace. Grace. And don't think, don't take things personally. I, I often thought that I think my dad is harder on me than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I kind of resented that at times, but then I, I realized that he's expecting more from me than anyone else as well. And uh, to whom much is given, much is required. And so uh, there's, there's, there's two sides to that coin. And so it's a real blessing to be able to work with my dad. And uh, I thank God for the wisdom and experience that he has and that he's kind of poured into me mm-hmm. as much as he could. Of course, we're different people, too. And uh, we have different uh, gifts and different life experiences. And so when we come together, I think we can make better decisions from from hearing from each other. Mm. Would you also uh, attribute the, su- uh, the success of your relationship in business with having the Bible there as kind of the, the sharing document that you guys both go to? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that is the foundation. That's the sure foundation mm. that we have, and everything else is shifting sand. Mm. And uh, yeah, our, our faith, our, our trust in the Lord, and, and the purpose of... Uh, that we're that we're doing this for uh, is is what keeps us centered. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it really, I think that applies to any relationship. If you have the Bible in, in between you, both you and the other person, whether it be a spouse or a friend, I think it could last forever. You know, the part about Christian radio that I love the most is the relationships that we get to build with some of God's choice servants mm. and uh, some of the broadcast ministries that we present. Uh, whether it's Adrian Rogers or Chuck Swindoll or um, John MacArthur or Alistair Begg, all, mm-hmm. all of these people I've had a chance to, to get to know and, and meet and uh, worship in their churches, and it's just been a special blessing. I, I, I love uh, what we do, and I love uh, the opportunity to do it with, with other people like that. Mm. So what, what does the future look like for Bot Radio Network? Anything coming up or any plans on the on the board? 
it's just an exciting time to serve the Lord. Are, have you followed this um, Asbury revival at yes, all? Yes, We've been praying for a great awakening style revival to sweep across America and around the world uh, for a long time. And uh, every major revival is preceded by a movement of prayer. So when I hear about movements of prayer um, pr- cropping up, I think, oh, that's just hopeful. You know, if the Lord is going to answer those prayers and send a revival. And then we hear about what's what's been happening at, at Asbury mm-hmm. and uh, the revival, which that was a one of the, the initial uh, starting points of the revival that was in 1970. They had a, a another, this is 50, 52, 53 years ago mm-hmm. at Asbury. And uh, then that was the same time as the Jesus movement. And then Right at the same time as this Asbury revival, there's the release of this Jesus Revolution movie uh, about Greg Laurie and Chuck Smith and the start of the Jesus movement out there in California. And the the Asbury revival now is spreading to college campuses all across America. Hmm. And of course, that's the young people. That's the next generation coming up. So it gives me a lot of hope, a lot of hope for America and a lot of hope for uh, the possibility of seeing another Great Awakening style mm-hmm. revival. The Second Great Awakening, for instance, was really at a time of great turmoil in the United States and a lot of um, lawlessness and godlessness mm-hmm. and so forth. And so, when you see around us so much lawlessness and godlessness, sure. you think, well, it's a kind of on this kind of a background that the Lord can send revival. But for the future, that's the that's the thing that is exciting to us. And then at the same time. The technology is changing. I showed you this old, old radio from the 1920s, and then that we grew up with with radios kind of like this, transistor radios. That was really a cool thing when you had a transistor mm-hmm. radio because it was small and you can carry it with you. And now you can carry this with you. Almost everybody has some kind of a smartphone. Yep. And with apps, you can listen to Bot Radio Network wherever you are in the world. And we have our Bot Radio Network app. So I'd encourage all of your viewers to download, go to your app store and download Bot Radio Network. And uh, then you can hear us wherever you are. When did you guys come up with that app? When did you guys uh, launch that? When? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably about 10 years ago or so. Oh, good for you guys. Yeah, we were kind of early adopters. And then, then it, it goes to the iPad mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And if you can see these. This is one of my favorites, the the Amazon Echo. When you say Alexa, play Bot Radio Network, and then she does. There's also the the Google uh, device here, the Google Home, and the Apple uh, HomePod. So all all different ways, the the, the definition of what radio is is kind of broadening. Mm. And the, the consumption of audio content is going up. With the, all of these various delivery systems, more people are listening to audio content today than ever. And so we were excited to be a part of that. And then we're, we're going to also be doing some of what you're doing now here with, with more video uh, podcasting. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're on Google, um, excuse me, uh, Roku. Roku and Apple TV, you can uh, download the Bot Radio app. And then there's video content on there. Some of our broadcast ministries have different sermon series that are on video that we that we play there. And people can go there and see that. So we're we're kind of morphing, if you will, from from bot radio network into bot Christian media. Mm. And so we're, we want to embrace all kinds of uh, media and technology to get the gospel out. Mm. What about YouTube? You guys utilize that at all? Uh, we do, uh, but we want to do so in a more strategic way. Sure. Yeah. So we're just kind of dabbling in that right mm. now, and we're looking to make that much more strategic. I just read uh, a third of the population is consuming content on YouTube. Of the entire world. Is that right? <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. you, can, you can find whatever you want on yeah. YouTube. So uh, how many stations do you guys have now? We have 120 uh, terrestrial radio stations reaching into 18 states. Wow. Uh, covering a, with a combined, combined coverage of 64 million people. So that just blows our mind. And, and then... And then with these other digital technologies, of course, you can hear us anywhere in the world. There's something coming out also called the connected car 
technology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're, we're going to be one of the early adopters of that. Where When you are listening to one of our stations, if you are to drive out, like you're going on a family vacation or business trip or something, you drive out of our coverage area, then it switches over and you begin to pick up the audio stream through through the internet. And I don't understand exactly how all of that works, but mm. we have some wonderful technical people that do, I think. And uh, so we're going to be uh, early adopters where, where you can listen to Bot Radio Network. If you have one of these connected cars, it's a little bit into the future, but it's coming. Mm. That's interesting. So if you're listening to a radio station and then you go outside of the limit, then it automatically switched to maybe satellite or something somewhere how it's getting the internet. So yeah, the internet I, takes over. You know what? And maybe Elon Musk is behind <laughs> this with the uh, internet from outer space. I, I don't understand, but, but it's kind of cool. That's great. So are you guys planning on uh, acquiring more stations? Is that in the future? Um, if there's, if there's a special opportunity to do so, see if it seems like the Lord is opening up mm. a particular door, we're, we're not opposed to that. In fact, we have uh, construction permits right now to build about five additional radio stations. So we're going to be doing that. But I, I think it's, it's more important for us to begin to exploit the new technologies sure. that are available to us and, and do more and more with that and have the, the radio, the terrestrial radio and the digital devices work together mm-hmm. and uh, and then to bring in some video uh, as a part of that as well so I have to ask how what is the um, how, what does it look like managing all of these stations I mean you said how many again 106 20 120 it's a lot uh, of tentacles out there <laughs> that you have to make sure that you know that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing you know it's very true that that uh, people are your most important mm. asset. And the Lord has brought some wonderful people to become teammates with us that share our vision, that have the expertise that's needed, whether it's business expertise or technical expertise mm. or broadcasting uh, on the air expertise. And so we're just so thankful for the people that the Lord has brought. And then we also utilize technology as much as possible, uh, where we have a very small market area there may be no people there but it's all uh by by automation and uh an outreach of perhaps a larger station that's nearby so we we utilize technology as much as we can to get the most um gospel out for Mm -hmm. the dollar invested so we we use technology to lever leverage coverage uh so so we have about 150 people all together that help us at these 120 stations. Some of the stations are translator or repeater stations that have no uh, staff, and others have a full staff in studios, and uh, so it depends on how big the city is. Mm. So are you um, directly managing these people that are you know out of state or um do you have other people that are doing that? And then you kind we of... Have, uh, we have a corporate staff here in Overland Park, okay, Kansas. Okay. That's where our headquarters is. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, regional managers at some of our larger stations in various regions, like in St. Louis and Memphis and Oklahoma and uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Lincoln, Nebraska. We have a whole um, constellation of stations all across the state of Nebraska and all across Kansas, all across Missouri. Mm. And uh, so they, they help us by each one um, managing several stations within their cluster. Mm. So I'm, I really love business. And, you know, just like you said, business is really about people. Is there a piece of advice that you can share, uh, especially with doing so, something so amazing that you guys have done with the network, with building a team of the right people? How are you finding these people? Prayer. <laughs> Yes. You know, that's, that is the, that is the struggle, uh, is finding the right people, mm. people that are technically qualified, people that are also mission minded, that understanding, that understand what we're all about. And when you find the right combination of, of, uh, expertise and uh, professional capability together with, uh, just a joy and appreciation for what we're all about, that that's when it really comes together. Mm. 
But but prayer, prayer, I think, is the, the best way to find those people. And uh, keep your eyes open because the Lord might just bring somebody by that, that you weren't expecting. So they need to have the why um, aligned with your guys' why, which is sharing the gospel mm-hmm. with, the, with as many people as possible. Yeah, shared values. And then they have to have the technical uh, skill set in order to do the job right. Because they could have the why, but they just maybe don't have the technical skill exactly. set. And then vice versa. Exactly. you got to have both. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's great. So you said you were doing the technology, doing, um, we have different radio stations. So would you say the technology is really about reaching that younger audience? No, I would not say that. I would say that the technology fits with our goal of radio being a whosoever will medium. Mm. And it's like the gospel and uh, whosoever will. So we don't target our audience based on demographics age, sex, race, income, anything like that. But, but it's about psychographics. We are trying to reach people that want to grow spiritually and want to know more about God's Word and apply it into their daily lives. So whether there's a young person that really wants to grow or an old person that really wants to grow, those are the people, that mindset, that psychographic of uh, Bible enthusiast, if you would. Mm-hmm. And they come in all sizes and shapes and ages. And so we try to focus on that and then let the Democrat, uh, the, the demographics uh, sort themselves out from there. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the new technology helps us reach more people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's true that the younger generation is quicker to adapt the new technology. But you'd be surprised how many old people are listening <laughs> to Bot Radio Network on their Amazon Alexa. One of the things that I remember you saying in a previous interview was the uh, technology is changing, but the word never changes. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I said that, I guess, before we started this, mm-hmm. uh, this uh, broadcast, but uh, uh, the technology does change. And there was a time when this old-fashioned radio here was the, just a modern miracle of, mm-hmm. of technology. And now today we have so many more tools available for us, but it's the old, old story. And Margaret Thatcher once said, yes, it's the same old story. Truth usually is the same old story. Mm. Ain't that the truth? Uh-huh. <laughs> so you've been doing this a long time, and it doesn't look like you are uh, planning to retire soon. Uh, I mean, your father hasn't really, and I, I would believe I believe that the Bible uh, does not want us to retire. I mean, we keep keep working for God, and I have to ask because I'm all about you know you know retire. When you say retire, to me that means. Um, Putting on new tread and keeping on rolling. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. Change your tires That's and keep re- going. Retire. <laughs> I love that. So what has what um, keeps your passion so alive to continue to show up to work every day? Is there some sort the, of uh, routine you have? or We have a listener comment line, uh, 1-800-345-2621. And people call that listener comment line and they, they share their testimony or a word about how Bot Radio Network made a difference in their life. Mm. And then those testimonies are transcribed each week. And I get them put on my desk every Tuesday, and I read through every one of them, and that is so thrilling. And I realize that what I'm seeing is just the tip of the iceberg of the impact that we're having for the kingdom of God. And when I realize that, that what we're doing is affecting real people, with the eternal word of God, <laughs> that that just keeps me going. Mm. Yeah, I can only imagine. You probably get so many of those every day or every week. Or, yes, we do. <laughs> so and, and all kinds. Yeah, I bet you get all different types <laughs> right, of, right. of of uh, letters coming through. So, uh, last question is: um, Do you have a book other than the Bible that has really making made an impact on your uh, maybe the way you think or your career and just help you in any way? Has any book come to mind other than the Bible? Oh my goodness. Uh, so many books. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't really. Uh, Maybe even a business a, book. Well, I tell you what, there's a book that Oz Guinness wrote mm. on, uh, on time. And uh, I 
can't remember exactly the name of the title, but had untimeliness in, mm-hmm. in the title. And it was, it was a book, and it, it, it shared how churches today and uh, the Christian world, in its effort to become relevant by becoming more and more like the world, they become, to the world, less and less relevant. Mm. And, and so our goal isn't to please the world, but our goal is to, pre- is to please God. And if we please God, he'll bring people to you that mm. want more and more of that. And I, I can't remember the title of it. That's too bad. But I, but I love, love what he said in that book about strategic untimeliness. Strategic untimeliness. Wow. And I mean, I, th- I think that's such a wise thing to do, especially nowadays with how the world is changing, is, is to stop trying to please the world. Because, I mean, that's a, a dark place to go. And really, we, I, I see it as clinging on to Christ as tightly as possible, especially when the world continues to change and do right. things differently. And then in a secular sense, there was a book that was called Radio in Search of Excellence. You know, the book that was called In Search of Excellence. They, they interviewed uh, high-performing high companies and what, what character qualities, what qualities uh, they shared and so this was just about the radio industry and radio in search of excellence. And so mm. they, they looked at different uh, radio companies and what made them excellent. And one of the things that they said is to super serve your audience and to know who they are and don't deviate from that. And so for us, that means serving the kingdom of God, serving the Lord's people and helping them to grow. Our, our ministry is primarily one of discipleship. Mm-hmm. But as we proclaim the word of God, a lot of people get saved too. So evangelism oftentimes happens as a byproduct as we pursue discipleship. Mm. That's, that's really great. Thank you. And thank you so much for coming on to this show and, and taking your time out of the day to come on my little podcast. Is an hour up? That, that seems like a long time. <laughs> this, this has just flown by. Thank you. I thank really you, appreciate Bronson. you. Thank you.